Well, good morning, Grace Church. It is so good. The coffee out there, isn't that awesome? We're back. It is so good. Everybody just seems happier. You know, grab some coffee on the way in. Um, I wanted to, before we get into our teaching, I wanted to share something really cool with you guys. So last week, we prayed specifically for our car wash and our students. We prayed boldly that God would bring a hundred cars that our students be able to wash for a fundraiser for summer camp. I am so excited to share with you guys. Yesterday, we washed exactly 100 cars. And not only that, this is how cool God is. Not only that, our 100th car was our lead pastor, Sean Sears, and his wife. That's, that's how God works right there. Isn't that incredible? So so cool. So I, I'm excited to continue in this series called This Means War, where we've been talking about spiritual warfare. We've been looking at, last week we, we talked about how we need to define the battle, and we heard from, from our lead pastor, Sean Sears, a great, great teaching. And, and we, we looked at Ephesians 6, verse 12, and, and we talked about this idea that there, whether we want to believe it or not, there is a battle that's happening all around us. We just might not be able to see it. And so Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says this, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So now that we've, we've recognized there is a battle, or, or maybe, listen, I know some of you in this room last week, you're like, I don't, this is all brand new to me. And maybe you're still processing that. I, I don't know where you're at this morning, but what we do need to acknowledge, whether it was the first time you've heard that or maybe the hundredth time you've heard it, we need to acknowledge that it's very real and that that battle is happening. And not only that there is a battle that we're all in, but there is a very real enemy that we are fighting against. And so if you're in this room, whether you're a follower of Jesus or you're not, you have an enemy. And that enemy doesn't play fair. I, I remember when I was in high school, um, played soccer, and we had a rival. rival our, our, it was a town called Ellsworth in Maine. And uh, some of you, maybe you've been there. Beautiful town, but the, 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 the high school soccer athletes, come on, it's brutal. And it was a four and a half hour drive from where I grew up. So we would, you know, it was so far that we would trade off. Actually, one year we'd play at their stadium. The next year we'd play at ours. And so the second you'd get off the bus, you were already cranky because it was such a long drive and there wasn't much sleep. And I, I remember the, the first year that I played, played them, I, I didn't really know what to expect. Like I had, I had heard from the varsity players like, hey, when just so you guys know, this game is brutal. And I just remember thinking like, okay, so the players will be a little tougher. Maybe they'll be mean, but like nothing prepared me for that first game on the field. I remember the first corner kick, first game ever, I'm standing in the box and you know, on a corner kick, the ball goes to the corner and all the players kind of crowd in front of the goal and guy kicks it in and you try to score off of it. And I remember standing there and the guy I was guarding was right to my left and as, right before the ball gets kicked, he takes his cleat and just stomps my toe. 
And that, like, it just got worse from there. Any corner kick, any free kick, I mean, punches to the ribs, grabbing shoulders, pulling you down. I mean, saying things that I'm definitely not going to say on this stage to us. Horrible, horrible things. And it was shell shock. I was shell shocked. I I learned very quickly that when we played them, they're not going to play fair. And they're going to do anything and everything they can to try to beat us down. And I walked into that game feeling unprepared. I I was shocked. I I couldn't believe what they were trying to do just to beat us. But that's exactly what I want to talk with you guys about today. Because the enemy that we are fighting against will do all of those same things to beat you. He will do anything and everything to beat you down and win. This enemy that we're fighting against, he doesn't play fair. And when I say enemy, okay, I want to clear this up. When I say enemy, I'm not talking about your brother-in-law, okay? I'm not talking about maybe a coworker or your boss, even though maybe you feel like that's your enemy. That's not who I'm talking about. Remember, our battle is not against flesh and blood. We have to remember that. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Listen to who our enemy is in 1 Peter Chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, this is what it says. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. And remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering that you are. So why does Peter, why does he pick a lion? How many of you, 11.30 p.m., you've just turned on the Discovery Channel? Okay. Nobody. Just me, I guess. Okay. Okay. Well, there are many times in my life where I've flipped onto the Discovery Channel. And listen, I'm not turning on the Discovery Channel to watch no birds. All right. I'm flipping on the Discovery Channel to watch a tiger take something down or watch a lion, you know, chase after a gazelle and take it down. And... What, what we've learned from lions and, and, you know, studying them and watching them is lions, do they go after the strength of the herd? Do, do they go after the, the gazelles that stay with the other gazelles? No. Lions are expert hunters because they prey on the weakest in the herd. Lions wait for their prey to stray away from the herd. Lions are patient. Lions are willing to play the long game to take down their prey. And just like a lion is willing to do all of those things, our enemy, Satan, I think has three strategies that he's going to try to use to take you and myself down. And the first one is this, is Satan wants you isolated. Satan wants you isolated. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 says this, And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So what is the author of Hebrews telling us here? He's telling us, listen, you have to meet together. 
You, you have to find community. You have to find connection. Because this connection, community, uh, finding people, finding your people, those are directly tied to encouragement in our walk with Jesus. So if you want to feel encouraged in your walk with Jesus, find community. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying. We're created for community. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, the very beginning of the Bible, when God creates Adam, he says, he, he saw that it was not good for man to be alone, so he creates Eve. We're, we're created for community, not just with God, but with each other. Let's go back to the, to the lion analogy. The lion's going to prey on the stragglers, the ones that, to, that stray from the herd, the animals that isolate themselves. But when the gazelles stay together, when the gazelles run side by side, when the gazelles don't stray from each other, when the gazelles pick each other up, when the gazelles encourage each other, I'm sure gazelles don't encourage each other, but you get what I'm saying. The lions don't have a chance. The lions do not stand a chance when those gazelles stay together because they're strength in numbers. And I'm sure some of you have felt this. My guess is over the past year and a half with quarantine, COVID, everything that we have been going through, you have felt more attacked than ever. And I truly believe it's because we have been isolated way more than ever. You have felt attacked. I have felt attacked more than ever because I've felt more isolated than ever. There's a TV show called Alone. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this TV show. This is great binging TV show, by the way. It's called Alone, and basically there are contestants that, you know, apply for a cash prize, and what they do is they take the contestants, and they drop them in incredibly remote places all over the world. And then these contestants compete against each other to see how long they can last in the wilderness completely by themselves with just a few supplies, like a shovel, a tarp for, for a shelter, and maybe something to start a fire, and like, that's it. And then it's just a competition against time. They don't know how long the other contestants are going. Their, their job is to just survive as long as possible. And Allie and I, this was very much a COVID binge show for us. Um, and I remember the first season we watched, and what we learned very quickly was these are expert survivalists. Building a fire, hunting, while even hunting was hard, they made it work. The hardest thing, I would say the number one thing that knocked people out of that show was the isolation. It was being by themselves. <laughs> Actually, Allie and I kind of figured out the more we watched the show that the second a contestant would start talking about missing their family and friends, Allie and I almost to the day could, could predict when they were going to leave the show. Because once they started talking about how much they missed their family and friends, it was only a matter of 48 hours, typically, that they were done. And it's because we are not made to be alone. We are not made to be isolated. 
And because of that, because we're not made to be isolated, the enemy is going to do anything and everything to isolate you. But I also know, like, some of you, maybe you come here on Sunday mornings, and even being a part of a large group like this can be a little tricky. Because if the group is large, you know, if there's a hundred gazelles, it's really easy for one gazelle to slip off unnoticed. It's really easy for you to come to church, walk into this building, grab a seat, and be out the doors, and I might never know you were here. Nobody in this room might ever know you were here in this building. It's easy to come to to church and just think that because you sit in this room that you have community when the reality is you've never been lonelier. It's why we, we, we can't stop and settle for just coming to a Sunday morning gathering. What we need to do is we need to take these rows and we need to make them into circles. We have to change these rows into circles. And what I mean by that is you have to find, find your people Find your life group. Find, find a group of friends, two to three, four, five people that you can sit down with and instead of sitting next to, sit across from and talk about life, grab a cup of coffee, talk about how your, your kids are doing, talk about how work is, talk about where you're at in your faith, talk about, and listen, don't just talk about the good things, talk about the struggles. We keep everything to surface level. And because of that, so many of us, we don't feel like we have any friends and it's because we never actually get to the questions we want to ask. Allie and I, this past year, we said, this is going to be the year where we, where we ask the questions we just, that get straight to the point. And we've done that more. And I'll tell you what, it's taken our friendships to a different level. Because we stopped asking, hey, you know, the Red Sox, huh? what do you think? And we started asking, hey, how's your family doing? Really, how's, how is your family doing? And my heart breaks for the people in this room that you're sitting here right now in a room full of people and you've never felt lonelier. Listen, when our, our isolation from the body of Christ, our isolation from the church, from, from fellow you know, people that follow Jesus, it puts you directly in the path of the lion that's just waiting in the bushes to attack. And, and I, I can't, I, I don't want to just stop there because this is so important. It's so, it's so crucial, not just to my health, but to your health mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually. This is so crucial that we understand this, and we see it all throughout Scripture. This guy named Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, which is the second half of the Bible. He wrote the majority of the New Testament. He primarily didn't write to one person. He wrote to the church as a whole. He wrote to a community. And in the early days of Christianity, in the early days of the church, you would be hard-pressed 
to find a Christian that was not connected in community because it wasn't an option, it was a necessity. It was a necessity. You follow Jesus, go and find your people. And those people, if you don't find them, they're going to find you. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. All you together are Christ's body, and each of you has a part of it. Romans 12, verses 4 to 5. Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body, for we have many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. This body of Christ has many different parts sitting in this room, and we all work together, and we all create the body that is Christ, the church. Colossians 1, verse 24 says, I am glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. And the list goes on and on when Paul talks about finding community and being a part of a community, being a part of a group, being a part of the local church. But I I hope at this point you understand that your connection to the body of Christ or people that follow Jesus in the church, it's crucial in your fight against the enemy because he's going to do everything he can to isolate you. But maybe you are connected. That's great. That's awesome. But just because you're connected, that just means the enemy enemy is going to move on to tactic number two. And tactic number two is the enemy wants to distract you from the plan that God has for you. The enemy loves distractions. And we fall prey to distractions now more than ever. And God has a plan and a purpose for each person that's sitting in this room. I don't care. If you're not following Jesus, I want you to hear God still has a plan and a purpose for your life. You just haven't discovered it yet. But man, we're here. There are people here that are ready to help you discover it this morning. I'm ready to help you discover it this morning. What the enemy wants is the exact opposite of what God wants. See, God wants to use you to build his kingdom and get you to focus on your, the, the mission that he has for you and in what the enemy wants to do is get you to focus on building your kingdom. Get you to focus on fulfilling your mission, whatever that is that you feel is the mission for your life. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. It's hard verses. Hard to hear, but very, very true. It says this, Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for a physical pleasure, a craving for everything that we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. And these are not from the Father. These things are not from God, but are from this world. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. See, what the world is offering you is temporary and just a craving and something that will fade away. And what God is ready to offer you is something that will last forever. Which one do you want? 
The enemy uses the world to offer you distractions. And these distractions, listen, these distractions in the moment, they might be easier. They might offer you some sort of like pleasure. They, they might make you feel better in the moment or make you feel like you're filling this hole that, that you, it's just been there forever. But they're t- it's, it's temporary. It's here today and gone tomorrow. That's what it is. And Jesus told us to do two things. And the first thing is this, love God. And the second thing is love others. And the enemy wants to change that to love yourself. Look out for number one. Whatever makes you feel good in the moment, just do it. And he wants to distract us with that to to stop us from loving God and loving others. Now, here's the thing. Don't don't think that I'm up here saying all of these, you know, these things are bad. Is there anything wrong with like pleasure, adventure, achievements, or possessions? There's nothing wrong with those things. The problem is the pursuit of pleasure, experiences, achievements, possessions outside of God's direction for our life. Do you see the difference? Those things in and of themselves are not bad. The problem is when we start to pursue those things instead of what God has for us. This past week, I I even asked on our Facebook page, our our church Facebook page, I said, hey, what are some of the things that distract you guys? You guys did a great job answering that. I think we had like 80 comments. Really insightful for me. And as I was reading through those comments, I realized that almost all of them would fall into one of three categories. Some of them would fall into all three categories at once. And the three categories that the enemy loves to distract us with, the first one is money. The second one is power. And the third one is sex. Almost every distraction in our life would fall into one of those three categories, I think. And quick side note, a lot of you said that your biggest distraction is right here. It's this. That this is the biggest distraction that you have in your life. And so, listen, it's time. It's, it's time to put this on do not disturb. It's time to put this in a drawer when you're sitting down to eat with your family. It's time to take this off the table when you're at lunch with somebody and put it in your pocket. It's time to turn off notifications from Facebook and email that are just begging you to be distracted. It's time to turn off notifications on your Apple Watch so that when you're having a conversation with somebody, you're not, your, your wrist isn't vibrating and you look like this every three seconds. It's time to put it down because, listen, here's the thing. This thing runs our lives sometimes. And the enemy, listen, Satan loves iPhone and loves the Android. <laughs> loves it because this is money, sex, and power right in your pocket. And he's going, listen, (laughs) that's awesome. He's going to use it every minute of every day to try to pull you away from where God wants you. 
All right, that's my side note. There's a great, there's a great pastor and writer. His name's John Piper. If you guys have never heard of John Piper, highly encourage you to check him out. It's awesome. And, and he used, he wrote a book that, that talked about money, sex, and power, and he used this great analogy where, where he used them as like planets in a solar system. And if God or Jesus is, is the sun that these planets are orbiting around, money, sex, and power, as long as they're in the correct orbit, everything's fine. As long as, you know, when they're orbiting around the sun, that is God, God's going to use them. It's fine. Everything's fine. But the second one of those planets gets a little bit out of orbit, what happens? There's destruction. They crash into each other. They burn up. And in the same way, God wants to use money, sex, and power to bring himself glory and to be leveraged for his kingdom if they remain in the correct orbit. We weren't created. Listen to this. We were not created for money, sex, and power. We were created for God. And money, sex, and power are gifts and tools to be used as he's directed and in service for the agenda he has in our life. That's how big God is. God can take the biggest distraction that we have in our life, money, sex, and power, and use it for his good. Paul gives great advice to a young pastor named Timothy in, in the Second Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 to 5. He says, endure suffering along with me. As a good soldier of Christ Jesus. See, soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life. For then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. See, soldiers, when they go to war, they have a mission. They have a job. And if they stray from that and get distracted, it can cost themselves their life and it can cost other people around them their lives. There's a great movie called 1917. It, 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 it's an incredibly, you know, it won a bunch of Oscars. It's beautiful. It, it follows these two young soldiers in World War I that are given a message that they must deliver to their commanding officer because their commanding officer is walking into a trap. And so the whole movie follows their journey to deliver this message. And we're actually going to check out a clip from that movie this morning. So if you would, watch this. Where is Colonel McKenzie? He's further up the line. How far? 300 yards. He's in a cut and cover. You'll have to wait until the first wave goes over. No. No, I can't.
So what we see in that clip is we see explosions, we see shrapnel, we see people running in the opposite direction of him, and what does he do? He stays on mission. He doesn't let those things distract him, even when he gets knocked down, even when he gets beat up. That soldier knew his mission. And God has a mission for each of you in this room. And that mission is to help as many people that you know to know and follow Jesus. That's the mission. And anything else is a distraction. So don't let the enemy isolate you, number one. Don't let the enemy distract you from the mission, number two. And, and lastly, the enemy is waiting for you to let your guard down. And there are two times, I think, in our life where we most quickly let our guard down. And the first one is this, it's when we're discouraged. When we are discouraged, we quickly let our guard down. And the second one is when we're too overconfident in ourselves. Those are the two, two quickest ways that I think we let our guard down. I watched a boxing match last weekend. Uh, it was a YouTube star named Logan Paul and this guy named Floyd Mayweather, who's a 50-0 world-renowned boxer. And in that fight, there was a major difference in how they fought. Floyd Mayweather, world-renowned boxer, 50-0, never lost. The whole fight, his hands never dropped from this spot. He was ready. He was protecting. He was ready to go back, make a jab, protect himself, make sure he never left himself exposed. Logan Paul, the YouTube star, on the other hand, fought like this and would swing like this. And because of that, Logan left himself unguarded and was way too overconfident, and he got punched a lot. See, a boxer is focused on their role and their execution of their assignment. That kind of boxer is tougher to fight than a boxer who walks into the ring and thinks they're the worst boxer to ever live or they think they're the best boxer to ever live. They're unfocused. They're undisciplined. King Solomon, often believed to be one of, if not the wisest man to ever live, prayed against this very thing in Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 and 9. He said, oh God, I beg you two favors from you. Let me have them before I die. First, help me to never tell a lie. And second, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? And if I am poor... I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. See, Solomon wanted to live in the middle. That way he never became too overconfident and he never became too discouraged. Now, I know some of you, maybe you're on the, you know, you're on the top of the mountaintop and maybe you do feel 
maybe a little overconfident, but I also know there's some of you right now that you're in the, the lowest valley of your life. And here's what's great. I mean, God is in both of those places, but what's really important for you to recognize is just where you're at. Because when you recognize where you're at, you know how to prepare for attack. So if you're feeling discouraged, you know the enemy's going to maybe come at you in a different way. If you're feeling too overconfident, you know the enemy's going to come at you in a different way. No matter where you are, it's important that you recognize where you're at. It's important that you find one to two friends in your life that can be the people that lets you know where you're at, that maybe see blind spots in your life that you don't see yourself. Kind of like, you know, a car has the two mirrors and it has the little yellow or red indicators that let you know where there's a car that you can't see so that you don't get in an accident. Find the friends that can be your blind spot indicator. That can let you know, hey, listen, I see this coming. I don't know if you see it, but I, th- I think you're leaving yourself exposed for this. Ecclesiastes 4 says that two people are better than one. Why? Because they can encourage each other and help each other up and be there for one another. So who are those people for you? We all need them. I I need them. Who are those people for you? So what can you do now? All right, we've now talked about there is an enemy, and he's a roaring lion, And he's going to try to isolate you. And when he tries to isolate you, you fight back by finding community. By getting involved. Don't just pass through this church on a Sunday morning. Don't be passive in this fight. Become a part of this family. Get into a life group. Serve on a team. You know, Get on our parking team. Be outside. Greet. Just don't be isolated. Because when you isolate yourself, just remember that's where the enemy wants you. Second way is the enemy is going to distract you from God's plan. He's going to use money, sex, and power. And so what you need to decide and understand about yourself is which one do you fall prey to most easily? Is it money? Is it sex? Is it power? There's a pastor, I found this quote, I just couldn't find his name. It's an incredible quote, and he said this, If you think you aren't struggling with the temptation of sex, money, or power, it's only because you've already surrendered to one of them. I read that, and that one hurt. We all have an area that we're more, pr- we're more prone to fall to. So identify which one you struggle with most. And then, listen, go on the attack. Don't just say, yeah, this is where I struggle. And leave it at that. Google some Bible verses that, that talk about that. And then memorize them. What, what, why can we not memorize things? Any- well, we can't memorize because of this. Memorize these Bible verses So that when the enemy starts to tempt you with sex, money, power, you can say, no, God's word actually says this. Memorize some scripture verses. Google some sermons on it. Guys, there are some incredible preachers out there, way better than me, that deliver incredible messages on these topics. Just Google them. 
Check them out. They're, inc- they're, they're incredible. God uses so many people to deliver his word and communicate in incredible ways on these topics. And when we start to do that, that's going on the attack. That's saying, Satan, enemy, I'm not just going to sit here and lie back while you attack me. I'm going to fight back. And we can fight back because we know that we have God on our side. Lastly, the enemy is going to want you to drop your hands and be on guard, and he's going to be patient. He's going to be patient. He's going to play the long game. And so you need to find that one person, those two people that you can sit and be honest with. Not just you be honest with them, but they can be honest with you. And that means you're going to have to be honest with yourself. Friends that will tell you where your blind spots are. And pay attention when you're vulnerable so you can better prepare for attack. You guys, the enemy is... The reason we're, we're so passionate, but we get so excited and, and passionate about this, it's so important, is the enemy is so crafty and sneaky and will do anything and everything. He'll start with something small, a short video online, a little bit more money, and before you know it, he's using that to just tear you down. The enemy wants to take you down, but God has given you everything that you need to stay ready and prepared for attack. And next week, I'm so excited because we're going to wrap this up and talk about this battle and how God's already won it. We're going to talk about this enemy that we all have. He knows he's already lost. And so he's scratching and clawing for anything he can get to drag people down with him because he knows he's already lost. So you don't want to miss next week. I can't wait. Let's pray together and we'll wrap up. God, thank you so much for who you are. We thank you so much, God, for your word, for, for, for community, for this body of believers, God, the church. God, I pray for the people in this room right now that, God, the enemy has been isolating them. They feel isolated. They feel lonely, God. I pray that they would not leave this building, God, that they would not go another day without reaching out for somebody reaching out to somebody to connect with. God, I pray for the people in this room right now that they just don't have one to two people that can let them know where their blind spots are. God, put those people in their lives. God, I pray for all of us that we would not settle and become complacent in just letting the enemy attack us, but God, that we would go on the attack. God, I thank you that you've already won this battle. You're so good, God. We love you. We praise you in Jesus.